Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast for Real Life Church Pullman. We exist to help people know and become like Jesus. What I'm going to do a little bit is I'm going to probably do some more like teaching a little bit. And then maybe or maybe not, I'll land the plane someplace. Uh, But at least I hope you walk away with a little bit of an idea of how scripture is kind of put together. And maybe the authors of the scripture are trying to point towards something. And how do they point towards something within the Bible? So when you're reading the scripture, that maybe you can take one of these tools with you and go like, oh, oh, I've heard something like that before someplace else I read. Maybe the authors are trying to tie all these stories together. And what I do love about the Bible of how many authors there are, and how the period of time that was written, you know, thousands of years that was written from Genesis all the way to Revelations, and the miraculous piece of how much it's all tied together. Like all these people groups, all these history, all these stories, and there's themes and there's things that tie it all together. In itself, it's a miracle. So I'm going to just start off reading um, our passage that I'm going to kind of preach out of. So it's Numbers uh, 21 through 13. So, and the people of Israel, the whole congregation, came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed in Kadesh, and Miriam died there and was buried there. Now there was no water for the congregation. And they assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron. And the people quarreled with Moses and said, Would that we have perished when our brothers perished before the Lord? Why have you brought the assembly of the Lord into this wilderness, that we should die here, both we and our cattle? And the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, and you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water from you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Merah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. So I have a high degree of fairness. Like I just like things to be fair. And I won't lie to you, I have used the line with my kids and said life is not fair. And so like for them, like, hey, life's not fair. And it isn't. But there's still a piece of us like, like fairness should be a thing. And so we see Moses here. Like who has Moses been for the children of Israel? Like he took them out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea brought down the commandments. He taught him the law. He did all these amazing things, and he put up with their grumbling over and over and over again. So what really bothers me about this section of scripture is this piece of like, okay, Moses made a mistake. He, did, he didn't listen. But really, like, that is a thing that keeps him out of the promised land. Like, if it's just like, oh, God commanded, 
And then Moses just like, well, I'm just going to strike the rock instead of speaking to it. And that's it. So my question is, there has to be more going on here. Because it doesn't seem like God reacted in such this harsh way that this whole time leading this whole people through the desert. And so if we look at this like, story of like, numbers here in 20, and we go, okay, all right, so maybe what's going on around it? So one of the things that the ancient writers used, because they didn't go on and like, say a point and describe what that point meant in length. If they did that, like, we would have texts and texts and texts and texts. But one of the ways they, used, they, they taught was the idea to put stories together. So occasionally you might be reading through the Bible, and you read a story and you read a story and you read a story, and then... Like, chronologically, it's not, doesn't seem right. Like, they, they, like, they didn't go in order. For us in Western, when we read history books, we want order. Like, this happened, then this happened, and this happened, and this happened. Like, we would like that flow. But for the writers, they wanted to put scripture together and pieces together that made the, the reader think, okay, these stories are tied. So even they might have happened years and years and years apart, like, these stories are all tied together. So maybe when I was reading through this, like you were thinking of different stories that happened that sound that sounds similar. This sounds like something I read before. And so when we start off in the very beginning of this, what we get here is in Numbers is that, so the first couple of verses, so in the people of Israel, the whole congregation came into the wilderness of Zin in the first month. The people stayed in Kadesh and Miriam died there and was buried there. So we get this place of Kadesh and we get this idea of Miriam dying. So this is, this is my personal tangent. So Miriam, I'm sorry, let me back up for a second. So when we read like the few chapters before, it looks like this is all in the same time frame. What we don't get in the, right, in the beginning of that passage is this idea that there was actually like 38 years between the previous stories and the story. So in the previous stories, we have the spies they go out into the promised land, and they come back, yeah, there's good stuff, but there's these giants, and they're afraid. And then they're, God said to them, no, you're not going to go to the promised land because you didn't trust me. And then we have the story that uh, Corbin taught last week with Korah and the rebellion that happened there. And then we have this story. There is 38 years difference in these stories. Like, that's a, like what happened during that time? Like, were these Israelites just out in the desert wandering? Because really, like, to get to where they were and to where they needed to be was like 11 days of travel. Like, that is getting lost. Someone needed to ask for directions there. There's all that wandering going on. But reading it, you would never think that, okay, there's 38 years difference here. Because the author doesn't want that. The author wants to put these stories together to go, okay, there's a tie happening here. So one of the ties we get is this idea, first, of the place of Kadesh. So the Kadesh... Land that Israel, like you were just like, okay, where did I hear that last? Well, I heard it with the spies. The spies were in Kadesh and they go out to the promised land to see what was there. And so we're already tying these stories together a little bit. So it's interesting. So in Numbers 2, God basically, so Israelites had this camp set up. And in Numbers 2, God told them how to set up the camp. And so the camp was basically you had the tabernacle right in the middle, and then you had Aaron and Moses, and then you had the Levites, the priests, and then you had the rest of the Israelites, the 12 tribes around it. And so if you maybe read back in these last couple stories, you go, okay, okay, we just had a story about a rebellion by the Levites, a group of, a group of Levites there, the group of priests. 
And then before that, we had another kind of rebellion that went on. It was the spies. And the spies represented all the different 12 tribes. It is almost like the author is pointing to the same idea of how the camp is set up that's supposed to go from this larger group to this next group, the next group. And each time you're wondering, okay, will the people trust? As people get closer to the tabernacle, as they get closer to God, will they trust what God is doing? And so the story of the spies. Like they had spent two years in the desert. They had learned that God can provide for them, provide water and food, protection. And they get to this place of where now, are we going to trust God when we see that the possibility of these giants and what we have to do to take the promised land? Do we trust God? And they go, no, we can't trust God. Okay, then we move into the next story, the Levites. So we have Korah, like Korah talked about last week, so you can watch his sermon and get more on there. But do they trust God that Aaron and Moses are supposed to lead them? We take this on ourselves, like, you guys are not doing a good enough job. Guess what? We can do a better job. So we get smaller, and the trust isn't there. And so, okay, will this cycle break with Moses and Aaron? Moses and Aaron, Moses, he spent time face-to-face with God. He came off Mount Sinai glowing because he was so close to God. And will they trust and do what God said? It's like, no. So we have all these groups of Israelites, from the whole congregation, to the priests, to the leaders, struggling with trusting God. I don't know, I think that hits me in some ways. Because if God is trying to create a group of people that trust him and provide for him, Like, it makes me wonder my own life. I look back on my history. How has God has showed up? And can I be someone that trusts God when a situation arises that I don't like? You know, in, uh, I think it was like Numbers 11, Moses actually asked God to like, hey, just kill me. I'm tired of leading these people. They grumble, they whine. I'm just done with it. And God's like, no, I chose you. You're supposed to lead them. And we look at this, okay, as we are a people that God is asking us, trust me, I have good for you. And we look at the circumstances of our lives and the difficulties there that pop up, and like, I don't know if I can face that. Even the idea of trusting, like, God, are you actually a good God? Because I can say it with my mouth. I can think it in my head. But when it comes down to it, like sometimes I do wonder, like, God, are you actually a good God? Because this thing's gone in my life, and I just don't know what to do. When I have those thoughts or have those ideas, what do I do? Do I stop and go, okay, like, Lord, I see in my life where you have shown up, that you have been faithful. We sing the song that you've always been faithful, you've always been good. And I believe that because I've seen him show up, but... In this new circumstance in my life, this new thing going on, can I trust God there? I would say, like, sometimes I like to look at the idea of wandering the desert kind of in our own lives. Like, we go through periods of time in the desert. 
But what the desert is supposed to do in our lives is to teach us. Teach us to rely on him. Because guess what? It's really hard to have water in the desert. And so, kind of, there's this idea. So Midrash is like Jewish teaching on the Bible. It's not sacred. It's not, it's just, it's something that's to look at that helps sometimes to make sense of what's going on. So some of these uh, ancient sages, some of these Jewish sages, when they looked at this story and they see that Miriam died. And right after Miriam died, the first piece is that there was no water. And so they made this connection between Miriam and the water. This idea that Miriam, and so they go on to talk about Miriam's faith, that Miriam is one that had this faith. And so uh, I'm going to read the other passage in a little bit, but going back to the first time the rock was struck and there was water there. And so we have these 38 years between you know, that rock being struck, 40 years, whatever, that rock being struck and now not having water. And then really the difference is that Miriam has died. And so they teach the idea when Miriam died, the water stopped flowing. And so the idea would be that when they struck the rocks for the first time, what the, these sages teach is that they gathered that rock up and they carried it out through the desert with them. So this rock that's pouring out water, so this is how they have water the whole time. I know it sounds ridiculous, like it seems like far-fetched, but also we do believe that water poured out of a rock. I mean, that happened. So why can't this rock be mobile too and you take it around? Uh, But uh, uh, in Paul and Corinthians, he actually talks about the spiritual, wa- a spiritual rock that followed them to the desert. Like even Paul like, had read the Midrash, and these pieces, these teachings, and tied it into scripture itself. And so there's a, this moment now, like we've had this rock forever that's poured out water. Miriam dies, and no, we long- no longer we have water. And those people are back to the same spot they were 40 years ago. 40 years ago. And if you were Moses, wouldn't you be fed up too? At this time, Moses is about like 120 years old. So he spent the first 40 years of his life in the Pharaoh's courts. And then he killed an Egyptian and fled. And he spent about the next 40 years with Jethro being a shepherd. And the whole burning bush part happened. And he comes back into Egypt to bring back his people. And so now they spend 40 years in the desert. He's an old man, and he's still striking rocks. I can't believe his back still works. (laughs) But 120 years, like, ah, these people have not got it. They still have not got it. But at the same time, go back to the question, like, so why can Moses not enter the promised land? Was it just because, like, it was one word that he didn't listen to? Because he did most of it. Like, God said, gather the people. He gathered the people. God said, bring the rod, the staff. I think he's talking about a particular staff, and I'll talk about that in a second. But he brought the staff. And what next is he supposed to do? He's supposed to just talk to the rock. But he talked to the people instead. And so, okay, so let's look at Exodus 17. And so this is the other section of scripture that basically has the same story, the same story that happened 40 years ago. So all of the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by the stages, according to the commandments of the Lord, and camped at these names. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted 
therefore water. And the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Mm, Sounds familiar, right? So Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hands the staff with you, which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and the water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. And he called the name of the place Massah and Merab, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord among us or not? And so, like, there are so many similarities between Numbers 20 and Exodus 17. But there is one striking difference. Go ahead and bring up the next slide. So there's a comparison between these two. So in Exodus 17, it talks like this. Take in your hand the staff, which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and ye shall strike the rock. And then Numbers 20 goes, Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of the difference here? When God commanded Moses the first time, where was he located? Where was God located? He said, Behold, I will stand before you, before the rock. And then Aaron, they gathered assembly together before the rock. So this word before is really important because it really has this idea of actually between. So the first time around, the people were grumbling and they should have been punished. And God goes, I will provide for them. So Moses lined it up like this. It's going to be you and your staff. It's going to be me. And it's going to be the rock. So when you strike, it's basically this idea you're striking me. I am taking the blow here. I think in some ways, what God was trying to share to Moses is, like, here's this type of leader that you need to be. Here's an example of you you need to be. When these people grumble, place yourself before. Be sacrificial. Because I am a God that is sacrificial. I place myself before the rock. And so when we get the other, go ahead and bring that slide back up. So when we get Numbers 20, then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. Where did Moses place the people? Between him and the rock. So there's some teachers that even when they talk about this passage of scripture, they even say that Moses killed two people or a person. So when he struck the rock, he struck people along with it. He struck twice. That's kind of why this idea is twice is brought up. I don't know if it's there or not. But, they, but Moses is actually known for striking. Why did he leave Egypt the first time? Because he struck an Egyptian, killed an Egyptian. Like that part of Moses seems to be still there. So when he gets mad and upset, instead of being like how God asked him to be, like, hey, be sacrificial. Put yourself before the people. Because I think within Numbers 20, one of the things that we can learn from it is that God wanted Moses to use his voice. Because you're like, okay, like if you were to read these passages before, like Moses did a lot of striking, like of other things too with his rod. He strikes the, the Nile, it turns to blood. Like he struck the rock before and the water came out. 
And so if you're like, okay, but well, God says, okay, I just need to grab this rod, the staff. And so when I strike things, things happen. That's how God does it. But God says, no, this time is different. Because when you lead, I want you to lead with your voice. For me, this gives images back into Genesis. When God spoke, creation happened, life happened. So for the leader of his people, he wants the leader to be able to use his voice. Not lead like Pharaoh led. Like Moses spent that 40 years with Pharaoh. Pharaoh, iron grip. He led by fear. If, you had, if Pharaoh had a staff in his hand, what do you think Pharaoh is going to be using it for? Is to beat down people that talk against him. Anybody that steps up, any rebellion that happens, Pharaoh is going to use the staff to wipe out those against him. When God spoke to Moses, speak to the, the rock. Not speak to the people. Not tell them how wrong they were and how bad they were, stuff like that. But speak to the rock. Give living water to these people. Give life to these people, even though that they grumble. Now, I think it's really important to recognize here, too, because we can go like, look in our own lives and go, okay, like, I, don't, I can't be like Moses. Like he, even he messed up in this area. And his idea of going to promise us is just taken away from him. I think there's a piece of leadership that is there that you have a higher degree of responsibility. Moses spent time with God in the holy place near the tabernacle. And he even messed it up. And so when I look throughout all of scripture, from the time of Adam and Abraham, it seems like God is always trying to find someone to lead his people in the correct and the right way. And we see these people that are good. Like Abraham was chosen for a reason. There was a good piece of Abraham. That's why God chose him. And so he chose like a nation. You see why he chose Moses. There was a lot of good that Moses did. Moses and Aaron, his family, they chose a clan. But God, throughout all of history, has been looking for someone to lead like he wants his people to be led. And I think for us as followers of Christ, that we read through the Old Testament, and we have this idea of Christ in it, the Messiah that's there, the Messiah that's spoken of, that the idea that we see all these good people that still failed we need someone who can do it correctly and do it right. So in um, the story of uh, Korah, so after the people were swallowed up, they placed some staffs, and then they had Aaron's staff that budded. So a bud came off of that staff. And this staff is used to re- represent rebellion. And so in Numbers 20, when, I, when, Moses, when God told Moses to go get the staff, I'm pretty sure he was referring to that staff. Because he was supposed to go to his people and look, hey, do you remember the staff? This is a symbol of rebellion. Like, make the right choice. Do what is right. Trust our Lord. Trust God. But then God used that staff, that sign of rebellion, in order to take, to attack his own people, or not listen to God, or disobey When I think about the cross, 
I think of this idea, it's supposed to be a sign of what? For like human rebellion. The Romans use those rebellion against them. People are placed on the cross. I think now for our lives, that we do have an example of someone that led like God has always wanted one of his leaders to lead like, that we have Christ. And where we probably should have got that staff of rebellion, where we should have been placed on the cross for our own rebellion. It was like when God placed himself between Moses and the rock. Where God sacrificed himself, Jesus sacrificed himself so that we can have living water. That we don't take on the punishment of that rebellion. And so, so uh, John 6 here. For I have come down, this is Jesus speaking, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. That we have this example that's given to us of maybe more like the idea of the the perfect Moses. Because aren't we rebellious? Like you think that Jesus would get tired of us. But he continues to stand before us in our punishment that we deserve. Now, I love the idea that now we have grace. And Paul spoke in this idea of that we do have grace. So do we keep on sinning? No. No, but we have an example to live by. So maybe this morning, as you think in your own life, is there an area of your life where you're rebellion? I thought this was a really stupid question for myself, so I thought I'd ask it to you too. But there are places in our life where we rebel where we're just saying, God, I don't trust the story you've given me. I think my way of doing it is better. The way I should live this life better. And so, so sometimes like, I come from like, a counseling background, and so I think of even the way I cope with things. When there is stress in my life, when things are difficult, what do I turn towards? These things of this world that might make me feel better for a moment, but leave me empty. Or do I do the harder work of trusting God and working through it with him? Do I turn my life towards him? And then maybe the idea, you know, as you lead, like you are parents, you lead in your workplace, you lead, you know, with different aspects of your life. And so when the people around you are difficult, do you speak life into the situation? Do you speak life into them? Or do their grumblings or whatever's going on is what makes you angry and you react out of that anger or that irritation? And I say right now in the world that we live in, there is a lot of anger. What type of people are we going to be? Are we going to follow our example of Christ who did it perfectly? He could have came and destroyed everyone instead of his own kingdom with a fist, with a staff that was used to strike. But he came with a voice in the desert to speak to us, to call us, to give us life. I think we have a responsibility to follow him in that way. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by going to rlcpullman.com or by following us on Facebook or YouTube. Until next time, Have a great week.